I mean, the list can go on for these for these kind of diseases that we're starting to to identify, right? You know, parainfluenza is another one that kind of falls into the to the same category. But um, that's, I mean, personally, that's why I find swine medicine so interesting. There's, you know, everyone always says every ten years there's a new disease that comes along, right? But it seems like right now in the with the technology and everything that we have now, it seems like a more frequent thing happening. But yeah, it's just trying to evaluate that, right? So looking at it, um, you know, trying not to be biased, but looking at it with an open mind and trying to ask the questions of, is there something else here? Is this truly the only thing here that could be causing these issues, right? So. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Swinet Podcast Show Canada is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like... Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada. Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Veterinary Services, and Demeter Services Veterinaries. Welcome to the Swinet Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Swine Veterinary Partners offers a full range of animal health and production services to Canadian pork producers. We approach health management through personalized solution with concern for profitability while taking into account performance and the well-being of your animals. Welcome to SwineNet Canada. My name is John Patience, your host for today's podcast. And with us today, we have Dr. Ryan Tenbergen, a swine veterinarian associated with Demeter Veterinary Services. He will be talking about Streptococcus zooepidemicus and some uh, viruses that uh, and emerging pathogens that he thinks we should be more aware of. So welcome, Ryan. How are you today? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I look forward to our discussion today. Well, I am too. And uh, Ryan, I'm sure that many people that are listening today will know you or know of you. Um, but on the chance that there are people who are not familiar with your background and training, could you give us a, a bit of a biography of yourself and where you started out and how you got to be here where you are today. Yes, for sure. So um, I grew up in a small town in Ontario here in Canada. Um, I went to school wanting to be a vet, but in all honesty, I was going to go be a small animal vet. And just in school, I had some summer job opportunities. I got to work with some some swine vets, work on some farms, and I kind of just fell in love with it. So um, from there on, I continued to work on farms. I did a master's of science in swine health management, um, you know, learned a lot, presented a lot around Canada and in the U.S. too. And then from there on to vet school. And now I'm a, I'm a partner in my clinic here in Ontario. So we oversee around 100,000 sows just over in Ontario here. But we also part of the larger swine vet uh swine vet partner group which oversee around 400,000 sows in Canada. So you have a pretty good good reach and in a good group of 17 veterinarians in total. 
Wow. That's uh, yeah, that's an impressive background. And I'm particularly impressed that you were doing a master's degree at the same time, if I understand correctly, at the same time that you were doing a DVM. Uh, just just before, actually. So, yeah, finish that first. I don't know if I don't know if I could have done both at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say for us mortals, that would be impossible. OK, yeah. I'm glad I got that clarified. Good. Well, uh, thanks very much for that that introduction. And obviously, you're in a good position to uh, help us out today to understand some of these pathogens that are affecting our our industry, and uh, and first off, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about Streptococcus zooepidemicus, and perhaps you can tell us a you know a little bit about the organism, but maybe more critically, why you think it's important that we talk about it today. Sure. Yeah. And unfortunately, I have first-hand experience with this pathogen, and not not a lot of veterinarians do. I think, uh, you know, the more I talk to different colleagues in, in in Canada, in U.S., you know, everywhere, it is becoming more of an issue globally. So, um, my first-hand experience was back in 2020. Um, so I had a farm break with this horrendous disease. Um, it's very, very, uh, very, very aggressive on a farm, causes very, very high mortality, um, you know, and, and we don't really know a lot about it as far as how to treat it and how to handle it. So, you know, we can try some vaccines, we can try some antibiotics, it, it just really nothing seems to work. Um, and then a little bit about it, um, it's, uh, it's, you know, really, really common in a lot of species. So it, it's multiple species that will affect. So horses, you'll routinely find it in horses. You know, it can be dogs, um, ruminants, pigs, humans even, right? So it is a zoonotic disease that can infect humans. And there's lots of really interesting case studies done. Um, you know, there's one in Italy about some some unpasteurized milk. Um, there's another one in, in Thailand that goes back to a lot of cases and looks at when this pathogen is evolved and it's, it's definitely pretty severe in, in all of those species but what's interesting about it is that it's a commensal and what i mean by that is that it's part of the normal bacterial flora of some of these animals right so in, in horses you, you'll find it in their in their respiratory tracts but it can cause um, strangles which most people will know um, so that kind of really upper respiratory disease in horses now, how it makes the jumps to to pigs and other species like that, that's where we're kind of uh, in the dark a little bit. Um, you know, in, in the case that I had, there really was no direct contact. So we're, we were really left kind of scratching our heads of where this came from, right? And that and that's where kind of the worst part of this all is because you have someone that's that's gone through this devastating disease and, you know, they've been impacted you know, financially and their production, you know, the mental health aspects of it, of, you know, losing animals, not being able to do anything for them, and then not being able to figure out where it came from. So I think that's, that's one of the hardest things of this all. Can, can, yes, can we talk about that just a little bit more? I think we found everybody's familiar with the story of COVID, of course, and the story of where it did or did not come from. But I think we all remember that uh, that uh, for the f uh, medical community to have some understanding of the origin of that of that particular pathogen was really important for them to be able to start to develop um, uh, treatments or preventative measures that would make sense. They started with at ground zero basically and had to learn very very quickly because human lives were at risk. So your point about being 
starting out at a very difficult situation where you don't know where the organism came from is probably really, really difficult for you professionally. But can you help me? And I wonder if some of our listeners are thinking, but we do know about streptococcus. So is there anything that we know about streptococcus that would help in terms of how you would approach this particular um, streptococcus strain? Yes. So, I mean, in theory, because they're both streptococcuses, as you say, then, you know, those same approaches for control would work. But unfortunately, with this pathogen, just because of the sheer aggressiveness of it or the the magnitude of disease that it causes, it's it's something that's very, very difficult to, to, to stop. So, um, you know, like I mentioned, we tried in my specific case, and I know uh, there's a few other cases in Canada, there was uh, Manitoba was kind of the first emergence of this pathogen a year before I saw it here in Ontario. And then even most recently, just in 2023, there was another case in Alberta. So more and more cases are popping up. Um, but yes, I think all of those, I mean, I've talked to those, those veterinarians that deal with those herds and, and it's, it's really, we're, we're thinking on that same theory. Okay. You know, uh, beta lactams that work really, really well against streptococcus species. Can we use that? You know, you use that and you'll kind of knock it down a little bit as soon as you remove that, that antibiotic or that treatment, um, you know, mortality can start again. So that's what's the really challenging thing. Um, a little bit of work has been done with vaccines, and there's some interesting things too uh, that we'll probably touch on as we go through here. Um, but again, nothing's really been proven in that. Um, you know, my, myself and those cases in Manitoba, we've tried making these autogenous vaccines, right? So, so taking that bacteria that you grow in your specific farm and making a vaccine for it, we just can't seem to be successful with that to date. Wow. Wow. So... Um, I don't want to move you forward more quickly than than you want, Ryan. So if I'm moving you forward, feel free to pull me back a bit. But can you, uh, well, the first question I have is a very simple one, and that is the other instances of the uh, of the outbreak was, is the severity similar? Is there a range in the impact in a herd or is it pretty typical that it's going to have the same impact? It's a TGE, PED kind of thing, or is it a, you know, more like a PERS or something that sometimes it hits hard and sometimes it doesn't? Sure. So I would say the severity is is very similar. Um, so I, I mean, I can talk a little bit of specifics on my case. Um, you know, my case, we ended up having 40% sound mortality, right? That's, that's significant. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. you look at, wow. um, there was actually, a, there, there's been a few sporadic cases in the U.S. too, but one kind of the classic ones when everyone started to look at strep zoo a little bit was a Tennessee sow assembly yard. And it ended up getting into that assembly yard and they lost 40% of the sows in that assembly yard very, very quickly, right? So really acute deaths. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, th this is the frustration of it too, is, you know, you're, you're, you're highly vigilant and going in trying to individually treat animals as you go through this, right? So, you know, you notice that a sow has been off feed or maybe she's heavy breathing heavily. So you'll go and try and treat her oftentimes that's unsuccessful. But if you don't catch her that morning when you're going in, if you, if you do not treat her, then you can guarantee the next day that, that unfortunately she'll be dead. So it's just that really, really acute death. So really, really high numbers. And then those other cases out in the in the West too, um, again, very, very similar. 
it usually starts uh, with this just really high spike of mortality, right? So just very, very suddenly, all of a sudden you'll have, you know, I know the case in Alberta, it's 69 sows dead on the weekend. So it really, really hits hard. Wow. Wow. Can you maybe help our listeners to know what are the the symptoms? Uh, mortality is obviously the big one. And if, if the pigs die so darn quickly, the symptoms maybe <laughs> becomes a bit of a moot point. But what are some of the symptoms that a producer might go into his barn and say, oh, my God, I got to get on this right away because this looked like what uh, what uh, Dr. Ryan was saying on that podcast I listened to. Yeah. So un- unfortunately, because the mortality will start so heavily, that is going to be your first indicator, right? There, there really is nothing nothing that indicates anything before that and all of a sudden you'll just get this big spike of mortality like that so obviously at that point i mean yeah if you're in your barn and you notice that i mean the first call you should be making is your veterinarian right and trying to get some samples done some fresh samples um you know and even just discussing with some of the other colleagues here in canada and that i mean something like this it it looks a lot like something like African swine fever, right? Where you all of a sudden get this huge burst of mortality. So it really should be something that we don't kind of, I hope no one would turn an eye to, but it should be something that we kind of make the, the right calls to and look at. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, we, yeah, well, for whatever reason, there's all kinds of reasons then as you're stating to get on top of this thing right away and not to not to delay. Okay, very good. I'm I'm a bit of a scientist. Um, maybe not all our listeners will share this, but can you tell me a little bit about the course of the disease? So how is it causing mortality? Yes, yeah, so it's direct contact transmission as far as we know, right? So it's nose-to-nose contact. You know, water troughs definitely make it bad if those are shared because it can just spread in the water there. And then it's really just uh, an acute septicemia, right? So as oh, far okay. as you yep. know if as a veterinarian of course what i do is my bread and butter is go in and cut things open right so you go and you know you'll cut sows open and and you won't see a whole lot grossly to be honest you'll see some mild signs of septicemia right so maybe some some reddening of those organ um, organs uh, definitely a large spleen is one thing that will pop up um but but other than that it, it's very very subtle just because of the acute nature of it but when when you do culture it, it's it's pretty clear that that's the only thing you culture and you culture nothing else. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, really, yeah. So I guess the next question is, is that the pig industry is going through really, really difficult times right now. The markets are awful and the prospect in the next number of months does not look any better. Uh, so here we come along and we're talking about something else that pork producers have to deal with. Um, so let's put it into a context. I think I think it's really important, and we you've just given us very good reasons, Ryan, why we need to know about it. And I'm glad we're doing this podcast because this is something that you just can't mess around with. You got to get on top of. But can you give me a bit more of a sense, and our listeners a bit more of a sense of how common it is, and do you have a sense yet of the how infectious it is? So it's one thing for an organism to be uh, 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 to be fatal, and it's another thing for it to be, you know, uh, to be highly infectious or very difficult to 
transmit? Where does this particular organism fall into that spectrum? Sure. Yeah, I can get a little bit of my input. So, um, you know, I'll just mention through this all, Dr. Matthias Costa, University of, of Saskatoon, the vet college there. I mean, I, I would say he's kind of, in my eyes, a leading expert in this right now. So I've, I've talked a lot with him. He's done a lot of work on it. Um, but as far as this organism, I mean, in, infectious wise, very easy to transmit, right? So once it gets into a herd, it's it's very easy to, to move within the herd. It will move quickly. Um, I think the, sorry, pause for a minute. I lost my train of thought. Um, That's the okay. question was two parts I'm, there. Yeah, but basically it was infectivity. It has high mortality, you know, but the other question is the, uh, in in how infectious it is, and that's uh, so. At how much of a risk am I as a pork producer uh, at in terms of contracting this disease in my barn? Okay, all right. Um, so after we talk about Matthias Costa, yes, yeah, so we can talk about infectivity. So yeah, so uh, so as far as how infectious it is, it it really does move really quickly through a herd. So the infectivity of it is very very high. Um, you know, it spreads spreads very quickly and will cause widespread sickness. Um, as far as risk within the industry, you know, as a producer, should we be worried? Should we be not? Um, of course, we should be worried because of the magnitude of the disease. Now, the cases are rare to date, right? So, so like I mentioned, if we go back to, to 2019, so four years ago, we've had, you know, three cases in Canada. Um, you know, you have some sporadic cases in the U.S., which I'm not sure the number on that specifically. But, you know, talking to Dr. Costa, who I mentioned, he does say he knows that there's some other cases happening globally. So that's where the whole question of is, is this an emerging pathogen coming that really that we kind of need to put a lot of attention on and figure out a way of how to early identify it, right, how to prevent the spread of it. Um, I think that's some of the questions being asked right now. And most recently, too, I, um, you know, SHIC, the Swine Health Information Center in the U.S. So they're kind of a, you know, organization that really looks at diseases and puts priority on them and does a lot of very, very good research. So they've put this on their list of, of kind of diseases to watch. Um, so I think, you know, at least in North America and, and I hope globally, I think people are putting an eye on this. Um, I think risk right now in your farm is probably low, but but that's probably a bad thing to say too, because we're not really sure how it comes into a herd, right? And and that's that's the hard thing to tease out of it. Um, you know, it's it's something like I mentioned when we talked about the organism to start. It's it's a commensal in a lot of animals, so it's it's just part of that normal bacteria that they have in their upper respiratory tract. Now, what causes a, a trigger that causes it to cause disease? That's kind of the biggest thing that we don't know. But I will say that. That one thing that's come through all of this, if you look at, you know, human case studies, if you look at different animal case studies, it is just one strain of this bacteria that is causing this really, really high mortality, right? So, you know, my, my strain was sequenced from Ontario. I know the Alberta strain was sequenced and they all match. They're all within, you know, 99.8 you know, or 9% similarity. It's all the same strain. Right. Okay. Okay. But because they're, it's a commensal organism that really, that again makes it uh, particularly challenged for the veterinary community as well as pork producers to deal with it. Because as you said, the big question is what's the trigger? 
what causes yes. it from what is the trigger yes. soul to being to being uh, um uh, to causing disease or, or yeah trigger. and we don't really know how we don't really know how widespread it is too right because it's not like we're out testing healthy animals for this and yeah and it is a hard thing to test i mean tonsil swabs are probably the best way to test for it um but again you know you test a tonsil there's a lot of other stuff in a tonsil too so yeah, there really hasn't been, to my knowledge, any kind of, of healthy animal testing in pigs. Um, so yeah, maybe you know that's something to look at in the future as we try and learn more about it too. I think it strikes me as I'm listening to you, Ryan, that this is uh, another example of where uh, doing those things in the barn to maintain a stable uh, microbiome within that animal becomes really important. And so I'll put a little bit of a plug in for one of my uh, favorite topics. And that is, is that we need to understand the microbiome better and we need to understand what influences it and what we can do to maintain it. But obviously we already know that the manner in which we treat our animals, the stress that we put them under, whether it's environmental stress, social stress, any of those stressors can have a big impact on the microbiome. So it sounds like in this particular case, there's nothing specific to say about it, but just again, for producers to be alerted, this is a topic we need to understand better and they need to learn more about. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And I think there's there's some really exciting things being done right now and that kind of world of research, right, of microbiome. And, you know, even you talk of another streptococcus you know, strep suis, which we deal with on a daily basis, right? Like there's so much coming out now about the relationship between disease with strep suis and gut health, right? And just all goes back to that whole microbiome idea. So yeah, no, I think there's some really interesting things that will come out with that in the next few years. Yeah. Okay. So was there anything else you wanted to say on, on you abbreviate it uh, nicely to strep zoo. I appreciate that. And is there anything else you wanted to say about that before we move to other uh, pathogens? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, I, I think it's nice that we're all aware on it and we talk about it, right? And like I said, Dr. Costa in at University of Saskatoon, he's, he's doing some really, really good work and he's developed what seems to be a potentially very promising vaccine too. So, I, you know, I think over the next few years that there'll, there'll be some more on this and, you know, fingers crossed, no more true cases on farm. Um, but it's just something that we need to, you know, keep our eye on and, and make sure that we don't don't uh, give it the attention that it needs because it's very, very devastating. You don't want to see it anywhere else. Absolutely. Good. Well, uh, we still have some time uh, left, Ryan. So let's talk about you. You wanted to talk about some other organisms or pathogens, excuse me that uh, you think would be worthy of discussion today. And I'm sure you can, there's a great long list you could talk about, but are there some that are that you feel uh, in particular that we should include in this particular podcast? Yeah, I think there's a couple and, you know, I don't want to be all doom and gloom here, but veterinary medicine, it's at a very interesting point right now, especially in, I mean, swine, other species, I'm sure too, but you know, where our testing capabilities are becoming so much better than what they used to be, right? And, you know, like the whole concept of whole genome sequencing, where you can take a sample and look at every single bacteria and virus in there. So there's, there's going to be a lot of different pathogens that are going to pop up. 
and we're going to try and have to understand are they important are they not important you know a lot of these pathogens kind of fall into that same um, commensal category right so finding in a healthy animal but also potentially finding in a sick animal um, so yeah i think over the next few years when all that just keeps being you know more affordable more developing um, we're, we're going to have a lot of things come up um, one thing i did want to touch on though is porcine astrovirus 4. I find this one very, very interesting. Um, and we have a, a definitely a confirmed case within within our clinic. Um, so we've done a lot of talking together. At, you know, our, we do normal vet rounds and things like that. So we, we've done a lot of chatting together. And um, that one specifically really speaks to me to something that I just wanted to chat about today um, and kind of give the I guess give the the picture of you know we're we're going to keep learning here we're going to keep trying to understand this stuff so um, as a really quick introduction to porcine astrovirus four so um, the case that we had it's it's coughing in basically due to wean pigs or just after just after weaning pigs and what really you know you always hear the saying of what looks like a duck and walks like a duck must be a duck right so whenever we think of you know a coughing wean pig the first thing you always think of is influenza and there's you know i could probably count on you know more i probably need more than two hands to count the number of cases that i'm i'm sure based on clinically what i'm seeing that i think it's influenza you'll do testing you know maybe two rounds or three rounds of testing and you can't find it right and it's frustrating and we've always kind of been of the thought of, oh, I just didn't sample at the right time or I didn't pick the right pigs, right? But we think, hey, it clinically it's there, it must be influenza. But now you put porcine astrovirus 4 in, in the picture and potentially some of these cases, these complicated cases where we can't really put a finger on exactly what it is, even though we think that, you know, something like that could, could be the cause of it. Um, there was a really, really interesting study I read from IOL actually. So similar to what i just explained you know they pathologists you know pathologists are great they're so knowledgeable i'm always bouncing ideas off of pathologists but these pathologists at iowa they went back in their archive and they picked out 1200 cases that that really when you look at under the microscope they thought hey there is something going on here it looks like influenza you know there's you know uh there's airway damage, um, and 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 they don't actually isolate influenza from those cases, right? So again, it goes back to that whole thing: we didn't sample the right time, didn't pick the right pigs, whatever you want to choose. So, anyways, they took those 1,200 cases and they tested them all for porcine astrovirus four. And you know, it's funny as as they gave. I listened to a podcast with them, and they said they expected maybe 20, 30 percent would come up positive, and that would be a win for them, right? They think, yeah, there seems to be an association there. But 70% of those cases came up positive for porcine astrovirus 4, right? So it really puts a lot of, of evidence on the fact that that virus is there causing that disease. Wow. And so what, uh, so are there other clinical symptoms that are associated with it other than coughing or, you know, is it a, is it a dry cough? Is it because when, when you go into a barn, a cough is not always a cough. Right. So if you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. No. So uh, it, it honestly really is a cough. And I mean, I think it could mix between a dry and maybe what I call a wet or productive cough. Right. Just depending on what kind of other secondary stuff's going on. But mortality is actually very low. Um, you know, most of the pigs will cough. Um, 
the vet within our practice that has been dealing with this case mostly, he said, I think it was, you know, 30, 40% of the pigs he thought were coughing. Um, but you know, they, they keep eating, they keep growing, you don't lose too many pigs. Um, but it's just that nagging cough that everyone kind of hears and you can't really get rid of. Um, so, so yeah, other than that, it's, it's really just that cough and a lot of, um, there's not a whole lot of, I guess, ideas on how to treat this right now, how to prevent it. A lot of cases you read about right now, they'll, they'll have some cases and then all of a sudden they won't have it anymore. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, whenever you think of something new, I know, I know of, of some cases where veterinarians have tried a form of feedback, right? Just, it's kind of ingrained in our mind. If, if we get something new to expose the population, right. And that's, that's how we work in population medicine. So I know some have tried feedback, um, but again, it's kind of, we're in the, the world here of something new that we're still trying to learn about. Um, you know, is it going to become more important? Is it going to become less important? I mean, all that's still to see, to see, but I guess the point of talking about it is that some of those complicated cases that I have personally have, I know, and I know have happened to others. Um, you know, we have some of these other, other, uh, viruses here that may not be on our radar. So maybe you know, we should be testing and looking at some of these things too. Right, right. Well, it's a very interesting point, Ryan. So dealing with uh, coughing, dealing with uh, respiratory disease, you now have a bit of expanded knowledge as to what might be going on and what you might want to be looking for. And also the good news is, is that the pigs seem to still be eating and still growing. Um, uh, It'd be nice to have a control study where you could look and say, yes, they're eating and growing, but they're only at 80% of normal or they're perfectly normal. And we really, it's, it's just another pathogen that if too many of them pile up, we could have a much bigger problem if we aren't careful. Yeah, no, you bet. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, you know, we'll learn more. And I mean, the list can go on for these, for these kind of diseases that we're starting to, to identify, right. You know, parainfluenza is another one that kind of falls into the, to the same category, but um, that's, I mean, personally, that's why I find swine medicine so interesting. There's, you know, everyone always says every 10 years is a new disease that comes along. Right. But it seems like right now in the, with the technology and everything that we have now, it seems like a more frequent thing happening, but yeah, it's just trying to evaluate that. Right. So looking at it, um, you know, trying not to be biased, but looking at it with an open mind and trying to ask the questions of, is, is there something else here? Is this truly the only thing here that could be causing these issues? Right. So, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of part of why I love what I do for sure. Absolutely. And it's clear that you do love what you do, Ryan. Let's just listening to you. And uh, as I listen to you as well, I'm um, reminded of a, of a comment made by Dr. Ernie Peo, who was a, uh, very, very well-known swine nutrition researcher at University of Nebraska years ago. He's now passed, um, but he trained some of our more prominent nutritionists in uh, in the U.S. and around the world. And his comment was uh, a little bit sardonic, was the questions never change. It's just the answers that change. And as I listen to you and some of the, you know, you're seeing these phenomena and you're trying to understand them and treat them and so on. So the phenomenon may be the same, mortality, coughing, et cetera, but the answers are definitely changing. And unfortunately, sometimes the outcome is as well. 
Did you have any other final comments on these uh, on the, these pathogens before we move on to the final phase of our of our uh, podcast? No, I, I don't think so. I think the the main point was just uh, you know I guess give the give the message that we're we're learning. You know, we're we're finding new things. We're trying to take that with a grain of salt and use our you know professional knowledge and experience to to think of the best way to deal with that. So I think. Uh, yeah, I think the next few years will definitely be very, very interesting as we start to use some of this new technology. And yeah, it'll be good time in the swine world, I think, for for veterinarians to apply their knowledge. Absolutely. And the other the other thing that I think was really useful in this podcast, Ryan, was uh, that you've helped give us insight when you're faced with a, a new pathogen and you know a little bit about it, but not enough. And how you go about it, how you go about trying to deal with it, whether it's uh, something which has relatively low mortality uh, and doesn't appear to affect performance very much, or another organism which is devastating, uh, your approach sounds really, uh, I think is really informative for us. So thank you for sharing that with us. I just want to say like the veterinary profession, especially in, I mean, globally, but in North America, I mean, we're we're so great to share information and share experiences, right? I, I never shy away from calling another practitioner in, in the U.S. or out West. And I think that's a really, you know, good thing for the swine industry and something that we should really be be happy about that we're so open and transparent to share information in our experiences. And I think that's just better for the global industry as a whole. Absolutely. Good point. Yeah, good point. Thanks. And timely. It's time for our famous three. So moving on then, I have three typical questions that we like to ask our guests on our podcast. And the first question I have for you is, what is the book related to swine that you would recommend to our listeners as a book that you think is a very good book to read or a good book for references? Yeah, so I mean, unfortunately, with with my job, I'm on the road a lot and I don't read a whole lot. I have young kids at home, too. So, I mean... For a reference, of course, the gold standard for myself, I I honestly check it, you know, I would say weekly, monthly, whatever you want to say, but, you know, diseases of swine for a veterinarian is just kind of the given, right? Um, but, but other than that, yeah, I unless you're really, really, really interested in kind of disease and science and things like that. So um, that would just kind of be my go-to if you think of anything swine, yeah. Okay. And the second question then is, do you have a favorite book? or resource that uh, that you really like, but not from a professional point of view, but from a personal point of view. And you've already said you don't have time to, to read professional books very much. So I, I assume you don't have a whole lot of time to read, uh, you know, uh, adventure books, but is there a book that you can think of that you read at some point that you particularly enjoyed? Yeah, John, we, we talked about this at the start, like even a podcast, I, I can't tell you, John. I think we're going to have to skip this question. Yeah. Yep, that's fine. No, no, no problem. You, you know, okay. Nobody says you have I, to no, answer I really every can't. question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very good. Well, then the, the last one is the question that I like the most. And that is, is that as you and you've now been in the industry for a number of years, what are the characteristics of people in the swine world that you think uh, that the successful people, the most successful people in our industry, what are characteristics that they have which separate them from other people who are 
perhaps less successful in our industry? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And, you know, as, as we talked about this today and, you know, new diseases and learning more, I think one of the main things is just having an open mind. I think, you know, I always say to, to veterinarians that I work with associates and even producers, right? We're, we're dealing with biology here, right? There's no one answer. Things are, things are complicated. So I, I try not to get so hyper-focused on one thing, right? And, you know, Porcine Astro Bias 4, I can't, I can't go in and think this is influenza and this is nothing else, right? I need to have that open mind to, to look for other things and, and try new things too, right? So as we try and deal with some of this, um, you know, there's no, there's no playbook for every disease. So, so be confident to be able to, to try some new things and new innovations and, and do your job to assess those appropriately, right? So I, I think that's the biggest thing for me is, is just don't, get so much set on one diagnosis or something like that, right? Really keep that open mind and try and try and consider all things. Right. Great. Well, and maybe there's another characteristic that you've demonstrated in the little over half hour that we've been chatting and that is be a good communicator. Uh, you're, you've done a wonderful job with us, uh, Ryan, and I thank you for it, but unfortunately time is up and uh, you've got, uh, things to do and places to be and, and our listeners do as well. So I'd like to thank you very much for sharing your knowledge with us today and giving your time today and uh, want to wish you uh, a good rest of the day and rest of the week. So thank you very much, Ryan. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you as well.